0: So that's Hebrews chapter 5, starting at verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death... And of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away, To be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the end, so that what you hope for may be fully realised. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently... Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Rachel. Uh, heavy passage for us to look at this morning. Thank you for reading. Let's uh, take a moment in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, even when it uh, is a challenging a passage like this one. Help us to have open hearts, to listen to what you're saying to us, uh, to take it to heart, and might uh, it help us grow more like Jesus. Amen. Back when I was in youth group, I invited a friend along to church. Uh, She came once, uh, she came again, and she started coming regularly uh, to church, uh, to youth group on Friday nights. She learnt the basics of the Christian faith, and uh, to my great joy, she expressed a desire to follow Christ. I was so excited to see one of my friends become Christian. Sadly, though, less than a year later, she stopped coming to church. She didn't come to youth group, and, and when I asked her about it, I still remember uh, what she said. I asked God for help, and when I really needed him to show up, he didn't come through. So I'm done. God hadn't delivered for her, so she had given up on God. She decided that the story was over. There was nothing worth waiting for, nothing that God could do that would make sense of what had happened. I'm still sad when I think about it. I reflect on things that I and perhaps others could have done differently to have shown God's grace and reflected God's grace to her. We haven't been in touch for a long time, but sometimes I still wonder where she's at with God and what hope there is for her. I'm concerned for her. It also, though, unsettles my own faith. If knowing Jesus is as good as I think it is and as good as the Scriptures show it to be, how could someone experience that and then walk away? I'm sure I'm not the only one. I reckon almost all of us would know someone, uh, maybe someone close, a family member or a close friend who used to follow Christ, but now we see little evidence of it and we wonder what that means. You might also know well-known Christian identities who've publicly stepped back from their faith in Christ as they deconstruct the beliefs they were raised with. We need to think about this as Christians, uh, both out of love for friends and family who who are questioning and doubting their Christian faith, We also need to think about it for ourselves, because it raises questions about how we will persevere in trusting Jesus. And if you're here today and you're you're sceptical about Christianity, uh, you're maybe not a follower of Jesus, uh, we're so glad you're with us. Uh, Maybe you're here because you're intrigued or you want to know more, a friend invited you. Uh, This might seem a little uh, bit obscure for you, but actually, can I say, this is a really important uh, topic If you're going to think about becoming a Christian, it's more than a one-time decision. It's it's a lifelong commitment. Jesus encourages potential followers to count the cost before we commit. There's great joy in knowing Christ. There is also great cost. He wants us to go in with our eyes open. So today's topic is all about how we go on and persevere and endure in Christian faith because there are lots of reasons that we might choose uh, to give it up. Sometimes one of these reasons hits you like uh, a big wave in the surf. Uh, It might be that many of our friends and colleagues uh, not only doubt the truth of our faith but doubt its its goodness and in in some cases would rather see Christian faith consigned to the rubbish bin of history. There are these obvious challenges that can hit us like that. There are also uh, more subtle distractions, endless entertainment options, all sorts of sports and experiences competing, not just for our time, but for our hearts. And these distractions, if we're not careful, can gradually uh, lead us away almost without us noticing. It's not a wave that hits you. It's more like the tide or a current. You drift away almost without noticing. Christians cannot take our faith for granted. We can't simply presume that because I made a decision to follow Christ once when I was young, that now I can just cruise on autopilot. This is a a difficult reality. But almost always through history, Christians have had to hang tough, hold fast to our faith. And that was certainly true in the ancient world the first recipients of this letter to the Hebrews that we've been reading through together for six or seven weeks now, they faced public insults and persecution for their Christian faith. Their property was confiscated. Uh, maybe even jail, we hear in chapter 10 of the letter. Now, that, that's very distant for most of us, but it's not uncommon in other parts of the world. Uh, even in India in recent months where Violence has grown against Christians and uh, the police are reluctant to intervene. Christian faith cannot be taken for granted uh, wherever you are and, and whenever you are in history. So let's have a look at our passage. Let's see what some of the dangers are. And then we're going to see what hope and confidence we can have to help us persevere despite these dangers. So firstly, in uh, chapter 5, verse 11 to 14, we see the problem of immaturity. This is the first risk to enduring and persevering. Verse 11 says, We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. (laughs) It's a bit brutal, isn't it? (laughs) Right? But a friend tells a friend the truth. (laughs) And the author wants these Hebrew Christians to know the danger that they're in. At the end of last week's passage, uh, when Charlie was preaching, you might remember, we got to chapter 5, verse 10, where it said, And Jesus, uh, he, that's Jesus, was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The author wants to go on and say more about this. Uh, And we're going to get back to Melchizedek by the end of today's passage, uh, ready for a deep dive next week. Charlie passed up the opportunity to talk about <laughs> Melchizedek last Sunday. And as much as I'd love to uh, explore this shadowy and uncertain figure with you, I think it's only right that I leave that for the vicar next week. <laughs> so we'll let, let John have all the tricky questions about Melchizedek. So verse 11, the author wants to talk more about how Jesus is a high priest and, and king who rules God's people and, and brings us into the closest fellowship with God. But before we get there, we see this problem of immaturity. The Hebrew Christians are are sluggish and reluctant to even try to understand this in depth teaching. How can you grow as a Christian if you don't even try to understand God and His Word better? If you're not paying attention and making an effort to listen to God and see how the Bible applies to your life, how can you grow? How can you learn? Uh, our daughter, Penny, is now 10 months old. She started eating solid food a few months ago. Uh, we're still careful, though, about what we give her. We don't want her to choke on nuts, and, and she still has lots of milk. Uh, this is totally good and fine for a 10-month-old, right? But if she's still drinking mum's milk when she's 15, <laughs> not so good. <laughs> right? It's the same here. There's nothing wrong with being young in faith as a Christian, There's nothing wrong with needing spiritual milk and the foundational teachings about Jesus. But there is a problem if you never go deeper. There is a problem if we don't engage our our brains as well as our hearts and make the most of the opportunities we have to study God's word, to learn more about him. As verse 12 puts it, to, to learn to teach others about Jesus too. Because you don't need to be an expert to teach others. You just need to be willing to learn from God's word and willing to pass on what you're learning to others and encourage them in their faith too. That that beautiful story Chris shared with us of the young young guy, Army, who uh, realised that going to church was not just about him receiving but him being a blessing to others as well. This is what being a small group leader is all about. It's what being a kids or youth leader is all about. It's what my job is all about too. Being a leader and a teacher is not about knowing everything. It's being an active learner who's willing to take some initiative and encourage other learners uh, from God's word. On the other hand, if we rest on our laurels, expecting others to be pouring out milk for us, if we don't take responsibility and seek to grow in our own relationship with God, that's like we're taking Him for granted. And that way lies disaster. So, chapter 6, verse 1 says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation. But just hang on a sec. Before we move beyond them, what are these elementary teachings? If we're going to build further for maturity, we need a strong foundation. And verse 1 includes in this uh, foundation, repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God. Uh, So this is all about how you become a Christian. How you start the Christian life and how you go on as a Christian. Uh, You repent from sin that means you turn away from actions and attitudes and thoughts that that displease, that displease god and therefore lead to death and instead we trust god we, we put our faith and our hope in him instead of living for ourselves or for something else that we value we live for god first and foremost we trust and depend on him above everything else That's what becoming a Christian is at its heart. And that's what being a Christian is, day after day, turning from sin and trusting more deeply in God. Other foundations are in verse 2. There's instruction about cleansing rites and laying on of hands. Uh, So this might be about baptism, the the cleansing rites, or or it might have been teaching that they needed Uh, regarding Jewish cleansing rites that they had previously, uh, which therefore might be a bit less relevant for us who don't come uh, from a tradition with lots of cleansing rituals, washing rituals. Laying on of hands is a sign of blessing, a way of praying for others and particularly associated with the gift of God's Spirit who comes and dwells in us when we repent of sin and trust in God. Uh, And then it says, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. These are not optional extras for Christian faith. They're foundational. Jesus himself rose from the dead. That's the, the central Christian claim. And he said that all will rise to face judgment. Lots of religions share this belief that we'll be held accountable by our creator who will one day ensure ultimate justice by his final judgment. But unique to Christianity is the conviction that the only way to receive God's approval on on that day at the final judgment is not to do lots of good things, not to do so much good that it's going to outweigh your sins. Now, Christianity alone offers the hope that Christ himself has won your approval. Christ himself has passed the test and by trusting in him, you receive that approval that is his. His righteousness is the the language the Bible uses. And because of his death on the cross, all our sins are wiped away. And so eternal judgment is not something to be feared for Christians because we can be confident. Confident not because we have done enough, but that Christ has done enough for us and we depend on him. This is the foundational Christian hope. Not that God will not judge, but that God will judge and that we will receive mercy because of Christ's death for us. Well, these are some of the, the foundational truths, uh, important truths, but not the sum total of everything that god has spoken in the bible his word has many more riches for us as well Uh, we need to have these strong foundations we also need to keep growing for maturity because if we don't there's this great peril that awaits the peril of falling away verse 4 describes it in the starkest terms it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming, of a, uh, of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. This is a scary warning. Complacency and and giving up on Jesus leads to disaster. As we sit with this, I want to recognise that it can leave us feeling very uncertain because all of a sudden my salvation, my relationship with God can feel very insecure. And especially if you've been taught, like me, rightly, that Jesus will not lose anyone who is his. That God will glorify all those who he calls to Christ and justifies in Christ. How do we square that idea that God guarantees our salvation with this warning about falling away from salvation? Some say that, Maybe it's talking about people who are never really Christians. Maybe that's possible, but it doesn't sound like it to me. It says they share in the Holy Spirit. They've experienced God's power and goodness. And yet they've chosen to reject it. They've walked away from all these blessings of God, all his generosity to them. And now there's no hope for them. They're ridiculing and shaming Christ, who is their only hope for salvation. So how do I now think about my friend who walked away from church? Well, I don't know what's happening in her heart. Uh, If I had the opportunity, I would want to encourage her to return to Christ because I don't know whether she's truly fallen away I won't know until that fateful final day when God's judgment is revealed. It's not my job to treat someone as beyond hope, as beyond hope of God's mercy. The illustration in verse 7 and 8 shows us why this warning is here, though. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. God blesses us as Christians. He sends us His rain. He speaks His word to us with the reasonable expectation that it will bear fruit in our lives. That sin will be put to death. That we will grow more like Jesus. That we will serve others with love and good deeds. All right. That that we'll share the good news of Christ with others. If you're a sceptic today, it's worth knowing that when God calls you, He's calling you to a fruitful life. Fruitful for you, fruitful for the benefit of others, and ultimately fruitful towards God and for His kingdom. And if you're a Christian today, take a moment to reflect on how you are growing what evidence is there of God's word bearing fruit in your life? What sin is God convicting you of? Where are you expressing Christ-like love for others? When did you last share God's word with someone? You might want to Pray after the service about this. You might want to come and chat with me or with Ali. We'd love to encourage you in this because God's word warns us about the peril of falling away, the internal suffering it leads to. The warning here is for, for us, for all who call ourselves Christians. It's not for, those, not for others, it's, it's for us. Yet this passage offers us genuine hope as well. Verse 9 to 12 gives us some signs of hope. Listen to what our author says, even about these slow Hebrew Christians who are not even trying to understand. Verse 9, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust, he will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. Even amongst these Hebrew Christians, the author sees signs of hope. He knows that God sees them too. Especially their love for other believers and the help that they're offering and continue to offer. And as I look around St. Jude's in Parkville, I I see your genuine desire to, to listen and learn from God's word. I see your desire to work for good in God's world. I see your love for your church family, how many of you serve faithfully and give generously of your time and money and expertise. And I too am confident of better things that have to do with salvation. I haven't shared this warning with you today because uh, I think you're producing thorns and thistles. I share it with you because all scripture is God-breathed and useful for training and rebuking and encouragement. Perhaps there are some of us who need to hear this warning for where we are now. For others, let it be an encouragement to keep persevering. As verse 11 says, we want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that your hope may be fully so, sorry so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. No one likes a hope that disappoints. Uh, And if you follow a sporting team, St Kilda, like mine, uh, you're used to hope that disappoints. (laughs) We want our hope to be fully realised. And we can have confidence in this hope. Uh, Not only because we see these signs of hope that the author points out in each other's lives. We can be confident because our hope has an anchor. The the anchor of hope in verses 13 to 20. Uh, I don't know if you've ever spent a night on a yacht. Uh, Ian was telling me recently, I can't see him now, but he's probably doing the barbecue. Uh, You can ask him about it. He was sailing from Queensland down to to Sydney. Um, Now, I assume normally, I don't think Ian did this, but normally when you're sailing, it gets dark and you want to stop and rest, right? So you need to make sure you have a good anchor. It needs to have a good hold so it's not going to shift. Uh, you'll still feel the tide and the waves and the current. You might be washed back and forth a little, but you won't drift off. You'll stay safe and secure where you are as long as your anchor holds fast. As Christians, as, as people, I would say, we, we need an anchor. When the going gets tough, what keeps you steady doesn't mean you won't feel the wash, but what keeps you steady? When you feel the pressures to give up on your faith, when all around you are questioning and challenging or deconstructing or giving up on Jesus, where's your anchor? What will hold you firm? We need something utterly reliable and dependable. We need a promise from God himself. God is the very source of truth. No one can be truer than God. His solemn oath can be depended on. He's given you his word. Christ, his son, is dependable. He's sworn it, uh, the, the author says. Uh, not because if God didn't swear, he'd be lying. Now God doesn't lie. But verse 18, God did this. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We're like refugees. We've fled to take hold of this hope, this anchor, the the hope that only God can offer. We're staking everything that he is dependable. And he wants to encourage us to hold firm, to help us to keep holding on, to assure us that he's not lying to us, that this anchor is worth holding on to. Brothers and sisters, we can take confidence, not only because God has said so, also because Jesus has gone before us. He's entered the very presence of God, where we long to be, where all our hopes are fully realised. If you're finding it tough to persevere, if you're tempted to give up, wondering if it's worth it, or just to kind of cruise in your faith, remember what he endured for you, how he persevered for you. Remember the suffering that he faced and overcame, how he set his face for you. He even endured the cross to win you grace and mercy. He has gone before, and not only uh, has he gone before in suffering, now Jesus has gone before now into glory, into the very presence of God, to the very throne room of God, God, we're told, and we are tied to him. Our anchor is in the very presence of God. It cannot be moved. This is our hope that we are tied to Christ. Friends, push on, don't give up. Hold firm to your anchor amid whatever currents and waves buffet you. Because your anchor is the Lord Jesus himself. He will never let you go. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us such an incredible anchor. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, for our great hope that he has gone before us through suffering and now to glory. Help us to to push on where he has led. Help us individually as a church to grow in maturity, to bear good fruit uh, as we wait for our hope to be fully realized in him. Amen.